Welcome to your province, your premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. The show is being broadcast on 770 CHQR right here in Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Ched. Every other Saturday morning during the summer at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Jason Kenney about some of the issues of the day. But once again, this is really your opportunity to ask your questions of the premier, to voice any concerns or issues that you feel need to be addressed. Whatever's on your mind, you can speak with the premier one-on-one. The numbers in Calgary, 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, 780-496-0063. And across the province, 1-800-563-7770. Premier Kenny, welcome to the show. Great to be back, Wayne. Thanks very much. Now, Stampede is drawing to a close. Last week, your last official Stampede breakfast as Premier, and you announced that uh, going forward, every September 1st is going to be known as Alberta Day, with more details to be unveiled. So what prompted that declaration? What can we expect? Well, you may may recall, Wayne, a couple of years ago, I appointed something called the Fair Deal Panel to see how we could uh, create a stronger province given some of the threats we, we face from Ottawa. And one of the recommendations was to do more to uh, celebrate and, and educate people about what makes Alberta unique and distinctive. Because we are a unique province. We truly are in our culture and our history. And uh, so this is one small way of doing that. Alberta became a province on uh, September the 1st of 1905. And uh, every 25 years or so, we have a, we celebrate that. I think we should do it on an annual basis. They do in Quebec. They have Le Fête Nationale, the, the feast day of Saint-Jean-Baptiste. Right. When every Quebecer comes out, flooding out with Quebec flags, celebrating their history, their culture, their community. Um, I don't think we'll ever get quite that big. This won't be a stat holiday, but we will be doing some events around the province and uh, sharing some uh, fun information about, uh, about our past. And one last thing, I, th- I think we need to be grateful uh, about those who went before us, the sacrifices they made, the First Nations, the pioneers, the veterans, all of them, this is a chance to do that. When will this take effect? This coming September Yeah, 1st? absolutely. This, okay. this September 1st. All right. Now, a big complaint from me and many other people has to do with gasoline prices. I was in Okotoks on Monday. Gas stations there charging as much as $1.879 a liter at Costco in Calgary, where I eventually filled up the time it took me to drive from Okotoks to Calgary. I paid 24 cents a liter less. Now, that's a big variance. Two weeks ago on Rocky Mountain House, I paid $1.75 a liter when it was one eighty-seven in Calgary. As of yesterday, according to GasBuddy.com, pump prices ranged anywhere from one seventy-two nine to one eighty-nine nine a liter. Now, two weeks ago, Dan McTagg said if you looked at the rack rate, which I understand is the wholesale price that gas stations pay, he said it's clear that, quote, Calgarians are getting fleeced. Now, at that time, he said that rack rate or that wholesale rate uh, was about $1.30 a liter. I'm rounding. He calculates that gas stations typically add on 21 cents a liter for federal tax, carbon tax, GST, another 10 to 12 cents a liter for operating costs and profit, which meant that the price two weeks ago should have been around a buck seventy a liter. Now, that rack rate has continued to fall. Yesterday, when I checked on the Petro-Canada and the Shell sites, uh, sites, it was listed anywhere from 113 to 116. Now, that's 14 to 17 cents less than it was two weeks ago when McTagg uh, made his comment. So if I use that same calculation he did, it means that pump prices should be around $1.53 to $1.57, or about 20 to 30 cents a liter less than gas stations are currently charging. Now, back in March, after you announced the tax reduction, you said the province would be prepared to resort to using legal tools to protect consumers and potentially bring in regulatory powers 
to compel retailers to pass on the tax reduction savings. Now, from a consumer standpoint, I'd say we're being gouged. I agree with McTagg. So what's the Alberta government doing? I haven't heard anything. Well, uh, listen, I know when we all feel like we get gouged when gas prices are high, uh, and it, it's true that prices do fluctuate, you have to shop around. You mentioned oh, two yeah. retailers that tend, I think uh, one of them I know, tends to be on the high side of price. There are others that are much lower. Yeah. Um, but on average, we're, we've been cl- we're following this very closely, and uh, bureaucrats at the uh, Department of Finance uh, see data that, show, that shows that fuel retailers are passing along Alberta's fuel tax savings to consumers. As you'll recall, on April 1, we suspended the 13 cent a yes. litre Alberta fuel tax. We see that continuing to be embedded. Now, we, I can't show this to our listeners, but I'm showing Wayne in the studio a graph of Alberta fuel prices versus um, the, the rest of Western Canada. And the gap is it remains relatively stable, uh, much cheaper. Of course, Alberta has by far the cheapest fuel prices, gasoline prices in Canada. Um, and uh, and so we'll, we'll continue to monitor that, uh, Wayne. I, I All I can tell you is we have the cheapest prices. We have no Alberta fuel tax. Uh, if we see, if we ever see evidence, and, and by the way, Professor uh, Trevor Toom at the University of Calgary, uh, his estimate is that uh, they are embedding the tax cut, so people are receiving that 13 cent a liter tax cut. All right. Now, one other thing uh, with surging prices, inflation, gasoline prices, uh, the NDP is calling on the provincial and federal governments to investigate what's behind the surging price of beef in Alberta. We're the beef producing province, for goodness sake. So uh, we're, we're, people are eating less because it's costing more. So w- what can be done there? Uh, will there be an investigation launched? Well, this is a long-standing concern, and both of consumers and of ranchers, beef producers. Uh, there's no doubt that very healthy margins go to the packers. And here's the reality: uh, we have only two large uh, beef packers on the Canadian prairies. We have a, a couple of smaller ones, like Harmony and in, in, in Red Deer, but but generally speaking, uh, or in Central Alberta, excuse me. We, we generally speaking, we have the two large packers, and so there, there's not as much competition as we would like to see. And so uh, the packing houses get to set the price. And uh, it, what's one of the things that's frustrating is that the ranchers, the primary producers, don't really see a great deal of uh, higher prices for their cattle when the retail price in the grocery store goes up. Right. So there are issues there. There are longstanding issues. And I so will all... your government be doing anything? Well, uh, we, we are, we are, we're always working with the industry on this. But at the end of the day, uh, competition law is a federal responsibility. And uh, if, if there's any ever evidence of, of price collusion or price fixing, then people need to bring that to the attention of the Competition Bureau. That's a federal responsibility. Uh, I can tell you what we do is, is uh, we work with the, the, the beef producers, uh, with the uh, feedlots, and last year, we stepped in when prices were at uh, price of feed was at a critical high, uh, with a, a frankly a subsidy program to help uh, cattle producers get through that hard time. So we're always there to ensure a future for the industry, but we don't regulate the price. Okay, all right, let's hit the phones because uh, that's what we're all about today. We're going to go to Justin in Edmonton, and Justin, uh, we kind of addressed this off the top fuel tax rebate. So make this one quick if you don't mind. Yes, uh, yes. As the as you mentioned, the fuel the fuel tax saving it doesn't seem to be passed along because I mean in Vancouver the fuel price went from two thirty four to now it's two dollars a liter. Fuel in Toronto is now cheaper than in Alberta, despite the fact that Ontario has eight percent sales tax and it also still has its gasoline tax. So it's quite clear for 
yes, I agree with you that from, you know, April to June, the retailers were passing on the fuel savings. However, in July, that appears not to be the case. And you mentioned, as the as our radio host said, that you would take legal action to compel the retailers to pass on the, the fuel savings tax cuts. So, so, uh, so what can be done to make sure that that's the case? Well, you know, we need evidence of this, and as I say, the academic evidence from Professor Toom is that uh, the, pre- the they are passing on the savings, uh, and that is what I'm getting back from the uh, officials of the Department of Finance who track this. We're going to release our analysis that is done by our uh, bureaucracy on a weekly basis uh, in a uh, easy-to-understand chart that uh, will show that we're tracking prices and the, and the tax savings that are embedded in the price. Um, and I, all I can say is I certainly hope we'll, we'll see uh, the prices come down further. They have been, of course, for the past couple of weeks. All right. Uh, let's see here. Well, we're going to pause for a break right now. A good place to uh, take a break. Um, I'm Wayne Nelson. I will be back with Premier Jason Kenney and more of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. Welcome back. Your province, your premier airs every other Saturday morning during the summer at this time from 10 until 11 throughout Alberta. Here in Calgary on 770 CHQR in Edmonton on 630 Ched. I'm Wayne Nelson and this is your opportunity to voice your concerns, address issues you feel are important to speak with the premier one on one. Those numbers to call or text 403-974-8255 in Edmonton, 780-496-0063 and across the province, 1-800-563-7770. We'll go right to the phones. I've been getting quite a lot of uh, text messages as well, so please be patient. We will get uh, to you as soon as we can, but we're going to go to Don uh, calling from Edmonton. Uh, go ahead, Don. Uh, Mr. Kenny, thank, I appreciate the fact that you're still answering questions uh, for Albertans. For sure. I was listening to an interview last night. I invite everybody to go listen to it on the audio vault. It's between uh, Dan McTaggart and Shane Hewitt. Uh, Dan McTaggart is the gas buddy guy. Dan McTaggart. Dan McTaggart. Dan McTaggart. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, Anyway, he he sums up what's going on in the country, like in a 30-minute interview, he sums it up perfectly, but uh, about the World Economic Forum and carbon tax and why our energy isn't being released and, and everything else, which is absolutely insane. So my question is, is how is it that a foreign corporation or country can influence and destroy the economics of our country and drive us into prosperity and turn us into a third world nation? Isn't there like laws against that? Or don't we have, isn't there something like before they would call it treason, but what the, I just can't believe that this is happening when you watch it. And it, he, Dan explained it so well in that interview. Sure. I, can you tell me, uh, Dan, where was that interview? It was on 6.30, Ted. They have an audio vault, and it's at, it was at 4 a.m. I know, what am I doing <laughs> up at 4 a.m., but that's reality. <laughs> you need to get some but, sleep, buddy. Well, listen, I, I yeah. know Dan McTague quite well. Uh, he's a friend of mine. We served together in Parliament for 15 years. Good guy. Um, and I, I didn't hear that. I'll, I'll go and listen to it. But I, I suspect what he's saying is that the fundamental uh, reason why uh, fuel prices and energy prices are high is because there has been a total lack of investment in upstream production or upstream exploration and production of oil and gas. And uh, one of the... Now, there there were relatively low prices between about 2015, 2017, and that explains some of the lack of investment. But a lot of it is because of anti-oil and gas policy. That's certainly the case here in Canada. Uh, you know, right now we've got like oil is about a hundred bucks a barrel this year, and yet uh, we're seeing no new greenfield capital investments in the oil and gas sector. In fact, uh, of the two hundred thousand jobs created in Alberta in the past eighteen months, 
Uh, only a very small number, I think it's about 15,000, came from oil and gas. The rest is in every other sector, and that's because the industry is not investing in new long-term projects. They're not doing that because they don't know if a federal government will permit it, will permit new projects, or will permit production. Uh, in fact, under the Federal Admissions Reduction Plan, they'd have to reduce production levels, which would just offshore oil production to OPEC dictatorship. So you're right, there is an element of this which is foreign interference in Canadian politics, which is why I appointed uh, the uh, Allen Commission to look into um, foreign efforts to influence Canadian energy policy. The tar sands campaign that started at the Rockefeller Foundation in 2008 has been a coordinated effort to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, mainly from U.S. foundations, on uh, bottlenecking Canadian resources. And uh, we, I can tell you, when I was Minister of Defence, the Secretary General of NATO told me that there was clear evidence of Russian government involvement in opposing pipe uh, gas fracking in Europe. And Congress said that there was evidence of Russian government involvement in opposing North American pipelines. So you're right that there is foreign interference in all of this stuff. Uh, we've passed a law making it illegal for foreign uh, contributions to political action committees in Alberta. We've called on the federal government to do the same. Uh, but the most important thing is to throw a spotlight on this. And thank you for asking the question. All right, uh, back to the phones. Uh, we're going to go with Brian in Calgary. And then after that, we're going to talk with David in Edmonton uh, about uh, inflation in restaurants. But first, Brian in Calgary on provincial trade barriers. Go ahead, Brian. You're on with Premier Kenny. Okay, thanks, Premier, for taking my call. And just before I ask my question, and, and I have a suggestion to make as well, uh, thanks for uniting the right in this province and getting the socialists <laughs> out of government. And I hope we can do it again uh, next year. Uh, my suggestion is why don't we put a surcharge on oil from Alberta destined for the United States until our $1.3 billion loss on the Keystone cancellation is recovered. They're already getting our crude cheaper than world prices now. Mm. That's my suggestion. And then I have a question after you've responded to my suggestion. Well, that's a creative one, Brian. Uh, I'll, I'll ask our lawyers if, if, if about that one. I uh, We are suing them under uh, through a NAFTA panel challenge, as is TC Energy. Uh, and, um, you know, my preference would be that we end up with an administration in a couple of years that uh, comes back and says, no, we need that energy. Let's get the pipeline built. Uh, I don't want to put our producers at a, at a competitive disadvantage. That's my first thought here. But that's a that's an interesting thought. Thanks for putting that out there. Uh, my question is, uh, since the first minister's meeting, uh, I'm wondering if you made any more progress on getting these uh, interprovincial trade barriers uh, removed. I know you've been championing yeah. that cause uh, since you came yeah. uh, into power, and I didn't hear any updates on Oh yeah, no. That was a that was a big focus of my uh, work at the premier's meeting in Victoria earlier this week, and uh, I, you know, I'll be honest. When they were planning the meeting, there was no discussion on the agenda of uh, internal trade, which is ridiculous. Uh, and almost everything was calling on the feds to do this and that, which you know provinces have to do. But there's one thing that we can do as provinces, which doesn't cost taxpayers a dime and doesn't require the federal government to do anything. And that is to knock down all of the stupid trade barriers, barriers to labor mobility, all the, the patchwork of different regulations. Economists and different think tanks estimate that these things cost Canada's economy and therefore consumers between 40 and 100 billion dollars a year, Wayne, if there's one simple thing we could do in government. 
to uh, get inflation under control a little bit, get costs down, it would be to strike down all these pointless, stupid barriers. In Europe, they can do it. 28 separate countries, full free trade, full seamless labor mobility, full regulatory harmonization. So I did get a commitment, a uh, renewed commitment from premiers to... to to move forward. Alberta is led by example. Um, we've also brought in our Labor Mobility Act, which tells our professional regulators they only have 20 days to recognize credentials from professionals from across the country moving here. We've asked other provinces to do it. And now Alberta is launching a study into possibly unilaterally recognizing regulations from other provinces. So if you're a, let's say, a, a service rig moving from the Sask side of the Lloyd Minster, of Lloyd Minster to the Alberta side, you don't have to register and have different first aid kits and different equipment. We just accept the SASC regulations as a reasonable standard. That would be a massive savings for the Canadian economy, and Alberta's prepared in principle to lead the way. Sounds like some common sense planning, too. I think so. All right, uh, text message now. Uh, this one regarding the current leadership uh, election race. Uh, this texter uh, saying it's pretty clear that Danielle Smith will win the UCP leadership race based on one of her platforms on the Alberta pension plan. Now, we've discussed this on previous shows. You're really not uh, putting your foot into into the election race, but what's your general feeling on how it's going? I, I, you're not going to draw me into it, uh, Wayne. Oh, I, come on now. Nice try. On. Nice you're, try. You're, you're, out of the, you're out of the picture, uh, or you will be in October. Well, I'm not out of the picture. You're That's in the October. point. I'm, in the October. Le- I'm the leader uh, of the party, and so um, it's it's not my job to to uh, interfere in, in that. Um, I, uh, I mean, I'll just repeat my general high-level comment, which is that um, I, I hope that our our members and, and the candidates will focus on the priorities of Albertans, uh, of the broad mainstream of Albertans, and including the broad mainstream of Alberta uh, conservatives. Uh, because if you go down all sorts of uh, rabbit holes that appeal to like 5 or 10% of the, of the population, uh, if, this, if the party becomes a, a, a kind of hard-right ideological debating society, as opposed to a movement that reflects the real, ordinary, day-to-day bread-and-butter concerns of families, uh, then it won't win. All right. Now, the rest of this text message said you ran on the, uh, at the last election, the report by the fairness meetings was completed two years ago. Why has it not been tabled if the interest is so high? No, the, uh, thanks for that. The, the, uh, um, Fair Deal panel, which I think is what the question is about, uh, was done through the winter. There were dozens of public meetings. There was polling, public opinion research, consultations. That was done over the winter of uh, 2020. Uh, it was released in the spring of 2020, just, just after COVID started. And um, this government has already implemented most of those recommendations, wholly or partly, and on top of that, we've done even more. And I'll give you an example. We got control over major industrial emissions from Ottawa. We got control over methane emissions. Those two items have saved billions of dollars for our largest industries. We got control over managing uh, uh, habitat in northern Alberta, a multi-billion dollar ticket item. We got a billion dollars out of Ottawa for well reclamation to put thousands of blue-collar oil field service workers uh, to work during the downturn. We got uh, a lifting of the cap on the fiscal stabilization program, which increased 
increased transfers from Ottawa by about $430 million. We, we got all 10 provinces to support us on uh, the, our, our successful constitutional challenge of the No More Pipelines Law Bill at C69. We held our referendum on equalization. I think it was, what, 65% voting uh, in favor, increasing our leverage with Ottawa. We, held our, we renewed the Alberta Senate Election Act. We held our Senate elections as uh, we committed to. We created the Alberta Provincial Parole Board. We appointed an Alberta Chief Firearms Officer. We, we're continuing to do the deep uh, technical work necessary to prepare, give Albertans an option on a provincial pension plan and a provincial police force and much, much more. No government... No government in modern Alberta history has done more to build a stronger province within the Canadian Federation, in my, my opinion. All right. Uh, quick text message. What are your plans as far as helping Alberta after your premiership is over? Haven't well, I, I people ask me, are you going to stick around? Of course I am in Alberta. I've lived here my entire adult life, love this province, and always will. And uh, so uh, I haven't figured out. Look, I'm focused, honestly, when I'm just totally focused on my job. I've got about probably about 90 days in this uh, privileged position where I can serve serve the province. And I'll figure out what uh, my next act is after that. But uh, I'm sure I'll be involved in, in some community charities. I'm sure I'll be involved in some public commentary um, of articulating uh, the need for, for respect for provinces, for energy industry, and all of that. So the themes that have defined me in the past few years, I'll continue to, to fight for. All right. I had promised that we would go to David in Edmonton uh, after our last call. So, David, you're on with Premier Kenny. Go ahead. Hello, Premier. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I was first. I was. Um, I warned them before I went on that I was a, a UCC candidate here in Edmonton, an unsuccessful one. So my opinion is a little bit biased. However, um, uh, my question was about uh, any any sort of COVID relief or, or uh, inflation relief that might be forthcoming for Alberta restaurants. Um, as you know, I, I uh, opened a restaurant in the last year. Um, you know, being a new business, we weren't able to take advantage of any mm-hmm. uh, federal uh, uh, COVID relief grants. And um, it's funny, the, the only grant we actually did receive for uh, COVID relief was the uh, REP grant from the provincial government, uh, $2,000. So um, I know you highlight uh, touched on the costs of uh, beef, which, funny enough, is our uh, most popular item. And um, our wholesale costs in the last year of uh doubled uh, give or take wow and um yeah uh, you know we haven't been able to double our prices our, our goal is to try to stay competitive so um yeah so th- that's my question is there any um sort of inflation relief forthcoming for alberta restaurants right now well full disclosure wayne i know david and david uh, is david's restaurant is the transit hotel barbecue and smokehouse and i'm just going to throw in a free advert it's a great historic <laughs> venue with the best barbecue in alberta in my humble opinion um and uh, david uh, look i i the answer is no I, i'm sorry to say that but um i you know i uh we this is not a centrally planned economy where we start farming out like um, subsidy checks to particular sectors that are going through a difficult time. I, I don't want to sound cold hearted about that. It's just hard. It's hard headed. And uh, I know restaurant, the restaurant business has been through just a brutally tough time, obviously through COVID. I know that the newer restaurants didn't benefit from any of the uh, COVID relief programs that existed at that time. Um, I know it's hard to get labor. I know food inflation, all of that is challenging. Um, uh, but I will just say that's a competitive reality 
right across uh, the sector and all across the problems, all across the country, all across North America. Uh, I, I hope that, that despite those prices, uh, you're seeing more business. I, I'm certainly anecdotally, I know I was trying to get a reservation for a restaurant with a, with a couple of friends last night in Calgary and like five restaurants we tried were sold out. Sure. So I, I hope some of that is is, is helping the, the gross revenues of the sector recover. Certainly tourism, I can tell you, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure about Cal- Edmonton, but Calgary, you can hardly get a hotel room. Wayne and I were just talking, uh, they're, Pri- selling, ho- the show. they're yeah. selling hotel rooms in in. Mm, like two, three star hotels, two star hotels in downtown Calgary for like six hundred bucks a night, and and so people are coming back to the province. Uh, people are spending. There is pent up savings, and I hope that will help people through this. Um, and, but fundamentally, we got to get inflation under control. That means the Feds need to uh, to 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 stop. Uh, surging money, and, and this is, here's another point. Well, Dave. we did have the Bank of Canada increase a yeah. full percentage, a, a full a full but, point. But it, oh, the other thing is, if, if governments go into a spending, uh, open up the spending taps to help people with inflation, we are helping people with inflation. But if we just do, do that without uh, discretion, we're going to end up further surging inflation. We make the problem even uh, worse. So we are putting out $2.3 billion of consumer relief, but we've got to watch it because if there's an over-fiscal stimulus, that will just feed further into inflation. All right. Uh, Gord has been hanging on for over 20 minutes, so we're going to go to Gord in Edson. Go ahead, Gord. You're on with Premier Kenny. Thank you very much, Premier, for taking my, my call. I'm afraid when you're gone... It's impossible to hire, It's impossible to get good people, and I'm afraid... The other party was going to get become in power when you're gone. And secondly, I've been dealing with compensation for 10 years now and I can get nowhere with them. I just wondered if I can get any help. I can't get any help from my MLA. Thanks, Gord. Is that workers' compensation? Correct. Okay. Well, Gord... Um I, I look. I I can't. I don't know your case, and it would be wrong for me to ask for personal details on the radio here. Um, and cheapers, um, uh, you know, one of the things that MLAs do help constituents with for sure is is WCB applications and and, and the like. Um, um, I'm not quite sure what to tell you. If your local MLA is not helping, maybe go to a next a neighboring MLA. Um, and to see if they can uh, can rattle their ch- their chain. I, that's all I could say. I'm sorry. All right, uh, Premier Kenny, we're going to go to the text lines, and uh, quite a few texts have been coming in regarding uh, COVID and uh, vaccines. Uh, this question uh, doesn't have a name from it. Uh, do you have any regrets regarding instituting a vaccine passport? Well, I don't think Alberta ever had a vaccine passport. We had temporarily a uh, proof of vaccination program or a negative test alternative for discretionary activities. Uh, That is not a passport, which is a hard requirement uh, for a vaccination. So we always had the alternative. I think we're the only province that did so. And no, I don't regret it uh, because uh, we were in mid-September of last year about 10 days from running out of intensive care beds in our hospitals. Now, Wayne, let me be blunt. Many of the people who ask me that question or who are skeptical or hostile to vaccines um, do not uh, uh, focus on or or sometimes don't even admit that our hospitals were close to uh, running out of capacity. But it's simply the truth. We had 340 ICU patients 
uh, in Alberta hospitals in a system that normally has 173 ICU beds. So we were 100% over capacity. If we'd hit about 365 ICU patients, we would have been, uh, I would have had to sign a, a triage protocol to authorize Alberta Health Services to pull life support off of certain patients. To, that's a polite way of saying killing people, denying others care. Medivacing patients from Alberta to Toronto because all the other Western Canadian hospitals were full, uh, plus asking relatives to care for patients in overflow wards without the assistance of nurses and doctors. Um, I think that would have been um, grossly immoral, uh, contrary to all of our values, and so we had to do something. And and to say that that if you wanted to go to a nightclub or a casino. You had to show a negative test or proof of vaccination at a time when 90% of our ICU patients were unvaccinated. Nine zero, ninety percent were unvaccinated. Now, that's no longer the case under Omicron. Omicron uh, is, is significantly different than the Delta variant was. Right. But I, I do not have any regret for avoiding a total catastrophe in our hospitals. All right. One more question from the text line, and then I have a follow-up question. This is all COVID-related. Uh, this is from Kyra or Kira in Calgary. After seeing what vaccine passports did to Albertans last year and how the unvaccinated were demonized, will you oppose vaccine mandates and newly imposed federal government requirement for Canadians to have a booster every nine months in order to be considered up to date? Uh, well, we yes, I oppose vaccine mandates, which is why uh, I introduced in the legislature a bill that became law to amend the Alberta Public Health Act to remove the power of government to compel people, coerce people to have to be vaccinated. So we, we removed the power of mandatory vaccination from Alberta law. And I have consistently opposed the uh, pointless federal vax mandates, for example, on, on truckers and, and, and travelers. I, we have passed a motion in the Alberta legislature in April calling on the feds to drop all of that. And uh, we'll continue to oppose that. Um, look, uh, we, I strongly encourage people to get vaccinated and if they are eligible to receive updated shots to give them maximum protection from severe outcomes. Uh, but at this stage, with the high degree of population uh, immunity and the declining um, severity of the, uh, of, of the COVID-19 variants, uh, I don't believe that policies like mandates are justifiable. All right. Provincial Court of Alberta released documents this past Wednesday uh, that give us a little bit of a glimpse behind uh, some of the cabinet discussions uh, regarding COVID. And uh, I'm quoting Lorian Hardcastle, Associate Professor of Law at the U of Calgary's Cummings School of Medicine. He said, quote, The big, big takeaway for me was how focused this was on reopening being a key driving concern of pandemic policy. Uh, and, uh, of course, Gil McGowan from the AFL has been somewhat critical. Your response, sir. <laughs> Gil McGowan, the, the NDP front guy, has is, is been critical of conservative government. That's a, that's a big headline there, Wayne. Yeah. Um, you know, let's be clear. Gil McGowan, who runs an illegal affiliate of the NDP, they, his organization, the AFL, has seats on the board of the NDP. They're the same organization. What's this all about? He is in court right now trying to get a judge to force us to put masks on kids as young as five years old going to school when the rest of the world has moved on. That's where the NDP is at right now. While the rest of us are, are learning to live with COVID, while uh, kids are, have got their lives back, and yes, we did prioritize. I'll admit it. 
put this in court if you want, Gil. I admit that we prioritized lifting restrictions on kids because they had paid a disproportionate price uh, to their mental health and their, and, their, and their social lives, their overall well-being through COVID for a disease that is, poses a tiny risk to young children in terms of severe outcomes. And so we said, uh, you know, coming out of, uh, of, of Omicron, let's prioritize getting kids' lives back to normal. We led Canada in that, and I'm proud to say we did so. And I think Rachel Notley has something to answer for, that her front guy, Mr. McGowan, is out there trying to get a court to force kids to wear masks when schools come back in August and September. I think it's outrageous. All right, let's uh, switch gears. We're going to go back to the phones. Harry is calling in from Edmonton. Uh, go ahead, Harry. You're on with Premier Kenny. Uh, good morning, Premier Kenny. Uh, thank you for your uh, hard work and service in uh, a period of time that you uh, served Alberta and all the residents. I just want to uh, ask a I guess it might be a double question. In the Department of Marital Properties, when people are married and and so forth, uh, I guess the spouse is entitled to half of the The net worth property or so forth. And I'm wondering who the minister of that department is. Does she live in the uh, the federal writing? Hominuk or something? Oh, no. Well, uh, Minister Armstrong Hominuk is the hmm. Associate Minister for Status of Women. They're, they're not responsible for, um, uh, for marriage law or for family law. I mean, family okay. law is... I, um, within the purview of the Department of Justice, but really what you're talking about is within the purview of the courts. It's the courts that determine typically in a contested divorce um, what the uh, property, how the property will be allocated, issues around child custody, usually the family uh, division of the of the provincial court. Um, and and so it's not politicians who, who do that. Like, so there's no there's no law that I'm aware of that says what percentage of property in a contested divorce goes to which party. Uh, there are principles that have been developed through the common law, through precedent, which are applied and interpreted based on the individual uh, facts of a case. Um, either if people go to arbitration uh, or or they end up going to the family division of the court. All right, quick question before we go to a break. Uh, this is COVID one again. Uh, any idea when those under 70 can get a fourth vaccination? Under 70, well, we, uh, the, probably fairly soon, um, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, uh, I think last week, uh, perhaps it was earlier this week, just a few days ago, uh, did recommend uh, a broader availability of the uh, fourth dose uh, to people under 70, but always recommending that it, that the highest priority there be people with who are immune compromised or, or, yes. or may have unique vulnerabilities. Uh, so we'll be, uh, we're looking at that. We're consulting with the Alberta Provincial Advisory Committee, Committee on Immunization, as well as taking advice from the Chief Medical Officer uh, for Health, and we'll be making an announcement uh, in the fairly near future on that. All right, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Jason Kenney. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you as host and moderator of Your Province, Your Premier. Broadcast throughout the province in the summer, every Saturday morning. That's not right. It's every other Saturday morning. Every other Saturday morning from 10 until 11. 
right here on 770 CHQR in Calgary and on 630 CHED in Edmonton. Uh, the numbers to call if you have a specific question, if you have a concern or an issue you'd like to bring to Premier Kenny's uh, awareness, the number is 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, 780-496-0063. And across the province, 1-800-563-7770. Uh, we're going to be going to Kim in Calgary uh, regarding an, an oil sands question. But before we do... Um, Article came out this week, uh, Mr. Kenny, regarding bracket creep. Now, when you started your career with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, you championed getting rid of bracket creep, and uh, it's now become an issue again, uh, bracket creep. So, uh, in your last days as official premier of this province, do you have any plans to take on bracket creep again? Well, well... Yes, uh, we had to look, uh, Wayne. I'll just t- take you back. In 2019, we inherited an eight nine billion dollar structural deficit. The province has been running deficits for uh, uh, for nearly a decade. We are push, starting to push a hundred billion dollars in debt, and we had to do something uh, and uh, to get that under control. And the one change we made on the revenue side was a temp- temporary deindexation of the tax code. Uh, recognizing that Alberta has the most generous basic personal exemption of all the provinces by far. I think it's nearly $19,000 a year now. 40% of Albertans pay no provincial income tax. So um, we've, we just brought that in as a temporary deficit reduction measure. Now that the deficit is gone, uh, the, I am 100% confident that this government will move back to re-index the tax code in Alberta. Uh, but we can't do that effectively until the next fiscal year because if we did it now, it wouldn't show up in people's returns. They wouldn't see that until the rebate in June of next, like in um, May, June of next year after they filed their returns. So uh, I believe all of the candidates to succeed me have committed to that. I certainly am. Uh, we will go back to the reindexation of the Alberta tax code. All right. As promised, back to the phones. Kim in Calgary, oil sands production concern. Go ahead, Kim. Hey, um, actually, feel free to correct me if my numbers are wrong because I have limited resources to check the facts. But you've traveled, traveled the world on the taxpayer's dime bragging about Alberta's ethical oil. Yet I understand five Suncor oil sands workers have died from work-related injuries since 2021. What did you and your government do after each of these needless deaths to ensure Suncor is operating in a safe manner? And with five deaths since 2021, one can only imagine how many workplace injuries are happening at Suncor. I can't think of another company or industry that could get away with this carelessness. Well, thank you, uh, Kim. Any workplace death is a tragedy and requires uh, serious a serious response, both from the company itself and the regulators. In in, in this case, uh, there uh, I don't know, but each individual one of those cases. But uh, there is under the Alberta uh, legislation uh, often a an inquiry that can be launched into particular workplace uh, uh, fatality, and um, uh, of course there are very robust uh, safety regulations that that companies must follow. I would say that uh, there's not one company or one industry that has uh, safety issues and, and tragically sometimes workplace fatalities, uh, but uh, this, these are things that sadly happen across the economy. And uh, Canada has, when I talk about Canada's ethical oil, my point is this, um, there is no doubt that our oil and gas companies operate under the most robust 
uh, regulations, including for workplace safety. If you think that there's anything like an inquiry into or any meaningful enforcement of workplace regulations in Venezuela or Putin's Russia or Saudi Arabia or Iran, uh, I think that's a bit naive. The point is that we do have the highest standards. We expect companies to follow them, uh, and, um, and, and there are very severe penalties if they don't. All right, Chris calling from Devon on a cannabis question. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, uh, hi, Jason. Uh, thanks for taking the time today. Uh, I work in uh, the retail side of the cannabis industry, and uh, I'm just curious on uh, what the government's uh, planning to do to come in and, and help our industry. Uh, obviously, uh, coming in so heavy regulated and watching the regulations pour on, uh, as well as Alberta being the highest tax province, uh, we're going to be looking at 40% closures this year um, in retail, as well as on the LP side of things. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's any plans to talk with industry to see about ways to help. Thank you, Devin. Well, uh, uh, thanks for flagging that. Uh, and I'm we're always willing to talk to any industry. We're constantly consulting with different industries on how we can reduce red tape. We've reduced by 200,000 now the number of regulatory requ requirements imposed by Alberta's government. That's a one-third reduction in Alberta's regulatory burden. We've gone from an F to an A on, red, on the Canadian Federation of Independent Business Red Tape Reduction Report Card. Um, now, your industry is obviously going to have strong regulations because of the nature of the product that you sell. Uh, but my understanding is that Alberta has the most open uh, private uh, market for private retailers uh, and the lightest touch on regulations in Canada. Um, but uh, but thanks for flagging that, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll pass that on to our Minister of Finance, who's responsible for regulating your industry. All right. And the Alberta a AGLC as well. Yeah. Text message now. How will you ensure that any appointments made to agencies, boards, commissions, and other publicly funded institutions during your last month's as Premier are not viewed as favors or patronage appointments? And will you turn these over to an independent committee for oversight? <laughs> Uh, the, look, if you look at the answer is this. Uh, so if you look at the uh, what we call governor and council appointments, which are basically um, appointments made by cabinet to agencies, boards and commissions, we've done without thousands, probably over two or three thousand, I think, uh, over the past three plus years. And they are uh, people appointed based on merit who reflect the diversity of today's Alberta, uh, who are co competent. Uh, and a we we actually when I think I'm probably the first premier I, I'm guessing in history who keeps an eye on uh, the percentage of those appointees who have uh, clear ties to my party to minimize that. Like by the way, sometimes conservatives are qualified and want to do public service. And secondly, these are not with a very few exceptions, like a handful of exceptions. These are not plum patronage positions. These are generally like sitting on a board and maybe getting. Uh, I don't know what it is, like a $150 per diem to show up at a day-long sure. meeting, okay? These are not, these are basically public service things. A lot of people just even down, turn down the, the those small per diems to sit on these boards. I believe you can actually make an application online to Yeah, to and I encourage people to do that. Member. So I, 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 best I can tell, a very small fraction of the people that we've appointed have connections to um, my party, 
But I do think that conservatives should be able to serve there as well as people from other backgrounds. And we have appointed former NDP MLAs and former um, uh, Alberta Party MLAs, former Liberal Party MLAs, to make the point that this is based on uh, uh, competence and not partisan affiliation. All right. Uh, we've got time for, I think, one more phone call. We're going to go to Lionel on a Windsor plant concern. Go ahead, Lionel. Hi, Premier Kenny. I want to thank you first for your years of service here and for being such a such a great premier and handling between handling the fact that you were between a rock and a hard place. Thank you, Lionel. But uh, right off the bat, uh, I don't know if you are aware or not. You can't be aware of anything, everything, but. Uh, uh, the repurposing of uh, oil wells in Alberta to produce lithium. Yeah. Okay, so you, you, you know of this situation? Oh, yeah. Well, since Stellantis is building a massive uh, uh, lithium battery plant um, at Windsor, $5 billion worth, and I'm sure there's going to be federal, I mean, I know that you're provincial, but I'm sure there's going to be federal granting that will happen because precedence was already set. Lionel, we'll have to get you get to your point right away because we're running out of time. Okay. Uh, well, I think uh, I why why would Stellantis want to source lithium in Germany when they can source it, source it in Canada and a really clean source coming along in Alberta? Uh, good question, Lionel. Interestingly, just yesterday I talked to the Federal Minister of Industry, uh, François-Philippe Champagne, about exactly this. And uh, he was uh, in Japan recently uh, promoting Canada for more uh, as, a, as a venue for more uh, lithium battery production. And we talked about why not here in Alberta? Uh, because we know we have the resource. We have passed a Minerals Act to make it easier for companies like that uh, to develop that resource. And I am planning a, a potential investment promotion trip to Asia uh, to promote exactly that, which would be lithium battery production based on our feedstock right here. So I, I think you're making an excellent point. I don't know why, why that company in Windsor is sourcing from Germany. I think we're not, our, our industry here is not yet mature enough. I will tell you this, the U.S. Congress is really focused on this issue about onshoring in North America, production of critical minerals, in particularly lithium. And I think there's going to be huge amounts of capital available uh, for that future industry in the province. Premier Kenny, once again, it has been a pleasure. I enjoy your uh, your your biweekly visits, uh, and thanks for joining us again today. I hope well, everybody has a great end to the stampede, and I think today we may click past record turnout for the greatest outdoor show on that's Earth. That's what I heard. Yep, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks at the same time. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.